Welcome to Ten Bestest, where we sift through the noise so you don't have to. Each week, we share our ten favorite things of the moment. Anything goes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ten Bestest. I'm Karen McFarlane Holman, and I'm Brian Hart. And here we are with another great episode, and I get to go first. I am going to be talking about a human. This human's name is Simone Seguin. Simone Seguin is French. She was born in 1925, and it is a pleasure to say she is still alive. She's 94 years old, and she was a French resistance fighter. Such an amazing story about this woman. She was only 18 when World War II broke out and she got involved. And she was part of this resistance group. And her first act of resistance was stealing a bike from a German military administrator. And then she used this bike to carry messages back and forth. She then went on to do all sorts of amazing things, some large scale and perilous missions. She helped capture German troops. She helped derail a train, blow up bridges, all this crazy stuff, all against the German Nazi occupation. I find it so amazing. She was only a teenager, but she felt so strongly about it that she was putting herself on the front line. She is now on the front cover of a book, Fighters in the Shadows, New History of the Fighters of the French Resistance. She has won many awards, as you can imagine, and just risked her life over and over again. She became famous the world over, unfortunately, first when there was a picture of her that started getting spread all around the place with her wielding a gun, and she was wearing these short shorts and wearing a cap, and she's really adorable. And so that's how she became famous, which is crazy because it's for her acts that she did that she should be famous. And I'm hoping she will now become famous because of this book. Simone Seguin. Wow. That person just, it's, it's, that's, I can't even believe it. Like she is a superhero. No, I know. And like she was a real only life 18. superhero. 18. Yeah. That's just mind blowing to me. I know. Oh, what the things that I was doing when I was 18, uh, was none of, not the, none of that. Not even close. Yeah. No. And none I don't of the 18 year olds I know. Not. Yeah. So really incredible. I just, oh, I love it so much. And just all the stories and I have not read this book yet, mm. but I really look forward to reading it to just get more details and, and find out more about these stories. Yeah, well, I and I've never even heard of her. So I definitely with that description, I want to know more about her yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. my gosh. 18 years old, blowing up bridges. And just even her first act, like from first stealing a bike. Oh, I know. Messaging and just everything like. Yep. Oh, my gosh. All right, my first cool sheet is going to be a TV show, The Sopranos. And this is a TV show that started in 1999 about a New Jersey mob boss, Tony Soprano, as he deals with personal and professional issues in his home and business life that affect his mental state, leading him to seek professional psychiatric counseling. It's created by David Chase, it stars the late James Gandolfini, also Lorraine Bracco and Eddie Falco, and a bunch of other stars, so many other stars. And this is easily one of my top three TV shows, if not number one of all time. 
It won tons of awards. It won 113 awards, including five Golden Globes, and it had over 303 nominations. It changed, it literally changed TV as we know it today. We're in the golden age of TV. You always hear that. It's because of The Sopranos. They proved that you could make a cinematic TV show that was equal to something that was a multi-year multi-million dollar budget, uh, you know, Hollywood picture, they could make a TV series, 13 whatever episodes, it was uh, six seasons, 86 total episodes. And it's just, it's timeless. Uh, The issues that they talk about, it's more than a mob show, although that's the foundation, but it's about relationships and like I said, mental health, all these things that mob stories certainly never addressed before that. And Still things we think about all the day, just family dynamics and, how, you know, trying to hold a job while you're having battles with your kids and things like that, you know, arguing, not battles, but just like arguing. He just happens to also be a mob boss. It's just so great. Every show has, he, they set the bar so high that all the shows had to catch up. And that's why we have so many great TV shows. It's because of The Sopranos. <laughs> I can't believe that I still have not seen it. Well, you know, and I, I kind of hesitated because it's so popular. Yeah. But I know there's people like you, and there's uh-huh. still a lot of people that haven't seen it. And and a lot of people are kind of put off like, oh, I don't like violent shows. It's actually not. It's definitely, there's violence. Okay. I, I can't say there's not violence. It's a mob show. And there's some strong violence, but it's less than I remember. And it's funnier. It's actually way funner. It's so smart the way it's written. And when you rewatch it, this is now my second full rewatch. And the writing, the dialogue and is so sharp and relevant, but funny, way funnier That's than awesome. I remember. I think like I, I would could really not. like it. I think you would I think you would like it. I think people even the people uh-huh. that don't like, you know, mob genre would like it. And uh, you know, it it, it gets a lot of comparisons between The Wire and Sopranos, mm-hmm. which one's better. But really, Sopranos was first, and, and if it wasn't for Sopranos, I don't know if you'd have The Wire. And uh-huh. Wire's in my top three, too. But yeah, Sopranos yeah. is just probably slightly higher because it was first. And I do have um, something about mob movies. I don't know, have a strange attraction uh-huh. to them, like a lot of people, <laughs> for some reason. But uh, it's so much more than that, though. So definitely, I think you should check yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that settles it. I gotta see it. All right, I'm going to move on to my next cool sheet. And I'm going to be talking about something technology related. And this is called the Sterling Engine. This is a mechanical device. It is so cool. And I can't believe I just recently discovered it, which is nuts because I teach about energy, I teach about science and and things like technology like this. And I don't know, somehow it escaped me till now. So in terms of the regular engine that we all know about, the internal combustion engine, generally speaking, how that works is we have fuel, we put the fuel inside the engine, and then that's where it burns and creates heat inside. And then that heat is then transmitted to become mechanical energy. We get the energy out. Okay, but the Stirling engine works a little bit differently. And surprisingly, even though I think it's really forward thinking, it was invented in 1816. And it just never caught on, which of course makes sense because fossil fuels are so integrated in our society and the infrastructures there. But the way the Stirling engine works is that it takes 
heat from the outside of it. And that's what drives it. There's a gas that's trapped inside. And by the way, the ingenuity of how it's made is that it moves the gases around and then you get energy out from that. So the heat from the outside that comes in, it can come from any source. It could come from the sun heating it up. It could come from a pile of compost that heats up as it's composting. So this heat fluctuation then allows the energy to come out. This again, has not caught on, but it does have a couple applications that are a little bit esoteric. So one of them is in submarines. Submarines, there's an example where you can't get solar energy. And also you can't have a lot of fuel that's down there under the ocean, um, carting it around. So they use Stirling engines. But I'm really hoping that worldwide, as we look at different energy sources, trying to become more sustainable, that people will look towards the Stirling engine. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard of this. So that's pretty mind blowing. In 1816? Yeah. What the heck? I know. Wow. It's not even like the turn of the century. It's like the beginning of the other century. Yeah, it's just gosh. Really amazing. Wow. Well, yeah, I hope we look into that because we, we certainly need more alternative sources of power. Yeah, especially, I mean, okay, so... Solar energy is great, but you have to mine to make your solar panels. Mm -hmm. And here's a way where we could use solar energy, but for something else. Yeah. So I just think it's brilliant. Oh, man. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. My next cool sheet is actually, uh, it's a podcast and it relates to number one. It's called Talking Sopranos. So this is a rewatch podcast of the Sopranos series. And it's co-hosted by Michael Imperioli and Steve Shapira. And they are both stars of The Sopranos. Michael Imperioli played Christopher and Tony's nephew. And Steve played Bobby Bacala. It has over 2,700 ratings with over five stars. So it's a pretty popular podcast. And that's because these two, not only were they stars, so they give you all of the inside scoop of what happened and the, the, the goings-on kind of behind the scenes of The Sopranos, which is very valuable. But just their dynamic, their personal dynamic, they're certainly their friends and you know that, but they give each other a lot of crap and, and they joke around. And just that dynamic really makes the podcast. And... They have guests on, they have writers and directors and co-star, other actors, even set decorators and personal assistants. It's really cool. And they will break down each episode. So it's just one episode a week. So that's going to be going on for 86 weeks since there's 86 episodes, which is a long series. And they, it's pretty much just started at this time of recording. They're in, think on season two now. Uh, and they'll break down every episode and they're very smart. They're like, oh, not only do they break down like this is what happened behind the scenes, but this is what we think this scene means. And, you know, isn't this interesting? The music choice and the, the way that this character started uh, their arc. And so super valuable insight and a great way to rewatch it. Definitely. It is a rewatch. If you've never seen the whole series, they will spoil it for you right off the bat. So this is after you've seen it all the way through, and it's a cool way to watch it again like I'm doing. So definitely check out Talking Sopranos. Wow, that sounds perfect for fans of The Sopranos. And so my question for you is, yeah. would you suggest that someone watches 
one episode and then immediately w- listens to the podcast that matches that episode. Yeah, or? that's how. That's how. You know, I've thought about that because I I am doing it. I'm, I'm uh-huh. listening. And I was like, should I listen to the podcast first and then watch it because then I could pick up the things that they're talking about. Oh, uh-huh. I thought that would be interesting. But the way I'm doing it is I'm watching. So I watch usually uh, on Sunday. I watch the that episode and then on Monday they talk about that episode okay cool. so yeah. it's fresh enough in my mind that I'm like oh yeah I remember that but I didn't think about that yeah that way and that's a really cool insight um, you know if I had unlimited time I would probably <laughs> watch it before and then listen and then watch and it then again, again after, after? <laughs> uh, you can't watch it during because it's just they're talking too much it's not like they're it's not like director's commentary Mm. during an episode but they do break down every episode and before they have like a so the kind of the shows in two sections where they have a a preamble maybe that's with the guest uh interview Mm, person or they just they're just talking and rambling and having a good time but and like I said, they're dynamic. Th- those two, just the subtle, it's also just like shows, you get to know their characters more. So now you're knowing oh, they're yeah. in real life, uh-huh. they're, they're actual personalities. And you get when they're ribbing each other, when it might not be so obvious. And it's so funny. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so great. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on to my next cool sheet. And I'm going to be talking about... A kind of uh, interwoven tapestry of a philosophical concept with some science and with some history. And this is called Music of the Spheres. It is also known as Musica Universalis. So I discovered this when I got into drone music in the 1990s, which I guess would best be described as kind of the sort of music that you often hear with meditation music and biarnal beats and things like that. But this really ties back, we're going way back into uh, Pythagoras, so Greek philosophy and things like that, where looking at proportions, mathematical proportions of celestial bodies in space, and then tying together those proportions with musical tones. So Pythagoras was the first one who tied together the length of strings with harmonics, like cutting it in half as first harmonic and things like that. And then Johannes Kepler, a German scientist, he was looking at the scientific concepts that are tied in with planetary motion, and he took those and tied that in with harmonies. Then together, you then fast forward to now, where NASA is collecting data from, for example, the sun, and there's radio waves coming off of that, and then they have interpreted those waves into sound waves And so they present those. You can go on YouTube to NASA's YouTube channel and you can listen to these sounds and these harmonies that originate from frequencies from different planets. And then what's really cool is that artists have then taken some of those sounds and then they have created like musical, again, I I like this word tapestry or soundscapes that you can use for just meditation or just like, wow, this is cool or whatever. So I love this tie in with all these different philosophies with science and everything else. Music of the spheres. 
shook, shook. Wow, that is just so mind blowing. It's, it's so cool for so many different reasons. It really is. I you just you have a love little it. bit of everything, and certainly for everything that you love—science, music, yes, uh, wow, exactly. philosophy, old and new, and wow, just totally, yeah. but very like it's kind of mind blowing. I've, I've delved in just a little sliver of some of that mm-hmm. area, but I really need to take a deep dive because it's just, it sounds so even cooler than I thought. Like, yeah. And, and I, I really, say, the musical part, I really want to listen right. to because that part I haven't heard before. Yeah. And I think that's probably where most people, if they have seen it, that was maybe something that was shared. I think you mm. you had said you'd seen... Um, where they had taken the NASA sounds yeah, and, and I, shared I've them. I've seen those, yeah. But yeah, there's so much history that goes behind it yeah. and philosophy and all of that. So there's there's a lot of richness in there for sure. Oh, so cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I love it. All right, my next cool sheet is a, I'm going to call it a nostalgia hack. And I, I don't, haven't necessarily seen this anywhere, um, but I kind of, did it myself, and I thought it was really cool. I wanted to share. There's definitely traditional ways of going through your life, um, looking through pictures, old journals, uh, music from the past. Uh, it just takes you back to that time in your life super quickly, and it's I love that feeling. And even smells. That's a big one for a lot of people. It can instantly take you back to where you were that day. But I found that a new way is uh, if you're someone like me that makes a lot of lists, uh, you know, these are my to-do lists or my wish lists or even Amazon wish lists, like things I want to buy or, you know, I did at that time. I started going through those. I was kind of just doing like a, an extra deep spring cleaning one time, and I wasn't necessarily getting rid of them. Because I found so much pleasure in looking at these old lists, you know, of what I thought was really important in my life at that point in time. And like I said, it wasn't just wish lists, although those were fascinating, because that teaches you a really good lesson that you do not always need the things that you think you did. But I could go on those lists and, it, you know, Amazon especially tells you what what year it was when you picked that thing. So then you're like, oh, yeah, I remember I was really into poker and I have like 20 poker books and poker chips and poker whatever. And then I kind of stopped doing that. But I was ready to spend thousands of dollars on this and turn pro. I did think about turning professionally a poker player. Didn't do it. Uh, you know, going through these lists and even on Evernote, I'll go through my old list and it's just fascinating. It takes you back. I love mindfulness and being in the moment, but I do, there is a certain part and I think it's important to sometimes reflect back on your life and, and make time for that. And this just might be a, a new and different way that you haven't thought of. It's going through old notes and lists. I love that idea. Oh my gosh. I just, you know, I think it was yesterday I was flipping through an old notebook. I was just looking for a, an empty blank page so I could write on, and I came across a to-do list. Yeah. And it was from last uh, fall, and so fall of 2019. And I looked at this list, and I almost went into a panic attack just looking at it because it was so intense. Yeah. And I think about how I am now, and my lists are shorter, which is great. It's it's one of those happy things that have happened from the pandemic. Yeah. And from quarantine, but yeah, and then also I love your idea of the shopping list of the, I never did that, but I can imagine 
Yeah, and I never well, really would said. have thought of doing it, but just because I, I'm a chronic saver, um, I have, you know, the Amazon mm-hmm. has a wish list, and I just, it's a good way for me to not buy something, is I'll put it on my wish list, and then I see if I'm still thinking about yeah. this item for a month, I get at least 30 days. In fact, I think that was a cool sheet in the past, mm-hmm. is I wait 30 days, and if it's on my wish list for 30 days, and I'm still thinking, man, I really... I've thought about that a lot, that I, yeah. I feel like I need to make that purchase. But there's so many. We're talking, I might have one purchase and a hundred that I didn't purchase. And yeah, and I'm like, oh, those are really not relevant and not important. And But I like to keep them because I like to see where my mind was back then. So, right. Since you can keep them, you know, as many as you want. I have thousands. It's ridiculous how many oh, I have. Wow. <laughs> um, and Amazon's also very interesting. It tells you, oh, if you bought everything on your wish list, you would spend $56,000 or $150,000 no or whatever. Idea. Yeah. So it's an economics, you know, is it's interesting in that aspect, yeah. but too, but just reflecting on your life, it was a very different way. It took me by surprise. So that's why I wanted to share it. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. I'm next going to be talking about an article and this is called How to Be Resilient. Now the subtitle is Pandemic Edition, but this is really, to me, it is an evergreen article. It could be used at any time. I really enjoyed it. So it does first start out with kicking off, talking about the pandemic, and it parallels it with the plague. Of course, it does, thank goodness. It establishes no, COVID-19 is not the plague. <laughs> I'm glad they said that. Uh, but they talked about how people in Italy black dur- back during Black Death um, were resilient. And there were some nice stories and reminders in there that I really enjoyed reading. But um, as it went through, it gave some of the really main aspects of people, characteristics of people who are very resilient. And I really, I only want to give away one of them because I want everyone to read it so they can find out the other ones. The very first one, um, the thing that is essential for resilience is optimism. And this story is great. They talked about this Navy SEAL who was a bomb diffuser. And so he was underwater, he's scuba diving. And there was a point when he, where he's trying to defuse this bomb And he realized he could not move his hands nor his feet. And he's right next to this bomb. He's trying to defuse. It's going to go off. And so the people interviewing him asked him, what was going through your head in that moment? And he said, well, first I kind of did a check. And he said, okay, I'm breathing. That's good. (laughs) And then he went on from there. And he obviously figured it out because he survived. But that is one of the most outstanding, I got to say, examples of optimism, where imagining yourself in that situation, and you're still optimistic, then that is really incredible. So again, this great article called How to Be Resilient. Yeah, that makes me want to read more, for sure. Yeah, wow. That's... That puts things in perspective a little bit, too, about some of the things that I think about every day. No. It's not diffusing bombs, that's for sure. Right. It's kind of like my first cool sheet. You know, it's just hard to imagine being in that situation and what would you do? Yeah. And it's also, you know, that's true, though, too. And, And again, perspective is we're a lot more resilient and mentally tough, you know, more than we think we are. And and I think even the pandemic has kind of proven that. 
is True. that we we are tougher than we, we think sometimes mm-hmm. and but it, but it puts a lot of things in in perspective and and what's valuable to you and what isn't absolutely things like that. so that's cool i'm gonna check that article out all right my next cool sheet is uh, it's food and this food is nutritional yeast oh my gosh it's not just for hippies folks <laughs> although i'm I am kind of, I fall in that demographic for sure. It's definitely big for vegans because it has this cheesy, nutty, and savory flavor. So it's very popular with vegans, but I am not a vegan. I'm not even a vegetarian, but I love nutritional yeast. And I do actually substitute it for cheese quite often. I'll put it on popcorn a lot of the time. I even add it to mac and cheese, even though I already have cheese in there, but it adds an even more complex and unami cheesy flavor. It's also very good for you. It contains powerful antioxidants. Uh, It could boost your immunity. It could help lower your cholesterol. So not only does it taste good, uh, although some people really dislike it. So, you know, it might not be for everybody. But I think it'll be for a lot of you. It's great uh, for vegans who don't get enough B12. So that's one thing that a lot of vegans are deficient in a little bit is because that's in uh, a lot of other things. And this has a lot of that. So um, just one tablespoon of nutritional yeast contains 30 to 180 percent uh, B vitamins. Um, so that's the fortified version, especially. So very cool. Like I said, you can sprinkle it on popcorn or pasta. You can stir it in soups just add it to soups it it makes your soups a little bit thicker and again it gives it that unami flavoring Uh, you can make salad dressings out of it it's even good for adding to pet food to give them some extra nutrients um, just to give them a little bit of that so uh, just definitely if you haven't ever had it and you're looking for some alternative to uh, cheese and it also has a shelf life a super good shelf life it won't mold up on you like uh, cheese does definitely check out nutritional yeast. Nutritional yeast has really only recently entered my diet and it's amazing. Yeah. I definitely have known about it. And because of the Salem Cinema, our local house theater here, I always have that on my popcorn. So I knew about it and I liked it. But yeah, I've kind of become obsessed. I almost added to everything. And I am surprised how amazing it is. And now yeah. my kids love it on their popcorn. They put it on all the time. That's so cool. Yeah. And it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, oh, hey, here's a question. Yeah. So I like making my salad and then adding in some feta. Like, could I do put in nutritional yeast instead into like a green salad, like tossed? Yeah, I will. I do notice that um, because I added to everything, it will. And for salad, it might dry it out. You know, the difference with you still might need uh, some kind of liquid for dressing. Now, it definitely makes a really good dressing if you combine it with other things. But if you just add the flakes, I will notice um, it's certainly a cheese substitute. You know, it... It's close. It's not, don't get me wrong. And vegans will say, oh, this tastes just like cheese. And it's because they haven't had cheese in a long time. <laughs> but it, it's close. It's And you can combine it with other things and really make it close. But uh, it will dry things out a lot. So since it's this flaky thing, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Your, your salad okay. might be a little, you know, cheese isn't, 
it's a little bit more moist, you know, or right. it has a little more water content to it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a really, I, I sprinkle it on everything. I'll, so I'll put it on rice, you know, and rice is, as is, is pretty dry, and, yeah. you know, and it's fine. So Yum. yeah, super good. I love it. I say add it to everything. Yes. Maybe when not. in doubt. Maybe not ice Add cream, nutritional yeast. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay, my last cool sheet, I'm going to be talking about a YouTube channel. And really specifically, I'm going to be talking about one specific episode that I found very, very helpful. And it is called What to Not Pronounce in French. So this is Alexa, who is a French teacher, who's French. So she's native speaker. And I have found it really helpful because French for me has always been really difficult with just how to pronounce stuff. It just looks so weird. But there are a lot of French words that are used in English, like hors d'oeuvres and noir and, and things like that. So I decided once and for all I needed to use, I needed to learn the rules. And this, it did come up because I do a lot of readings of different songs that are in French for a radio show. And I just kept butchering them. So I decided, okay, that's it. I got to learn what's up. So I found this video and I think it could really be helpful for anyone who just wants to finally pronounce things correctly in French. And so this is her mnemonic device. She says, Hey guys, don't sound this, please. X. And she says kiss, but X meaning kiss. So, hey guys, so H G D S T P X. And so then she went through a little exercise and I learned how to sit, talk about a wolf in a forest with a long green snake in French. And none of the last letters are pronounced in any of those words. And within four minutes, I learned so much. And so I walked away feeling like, wow, I think I could fairly confidently pronounce things at least better, much better in French. So I highly recommend this video, What to Not Pronounce in French. I love I love this, what not to pronounce, not how to pronounce something, but what, yes. how to, what not to pronounce. I love that. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, you know, French was the only language I took in high school my freshman year, one year. And so I remember like five words, of course. But uh, I did, uh, you know, it is a tough one. It's a, it's a, it's a hard it one is. to learn, but it's, it's common enough, you know, it's around. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, so many words that we use it that are French. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I'm so bad at pronouncing everything. So um, I need to probably check that one out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I will say French is not as bad as English. English oh, is English the is worst. The yeah. I'm so grateful that I grew up speaking English because. <sighs> yes. And in fact, that uh, that's going to be a few, uh, something on that topic is going to be a future cool sheet of mine that you just sparked my memory. Ah, all right. I, I will revisited. look forward to that. Yeah. Because it's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my last cool sheet is also a YouTube video. This is kind of a one-off. He has a channel, but this is the one that I have only one I've seen of his. It's called the Pittsburgh Parking Chair. It's only three minutes and 39 seconds. And it actually, for a YouTube video only, has uh, 185,000 views. Uh, and that's only because it was posted on a blog somewhere probably where I found it. And so it hasn't grown much since I've seen it, only a couple thousand. Uh, so it started during snowstorms, but people would put out, they would shovel uh, in front of their house, the uh, the, si- the sidewalk, uh, the 
in front of their house, and then they would put a chair in front of it from their house and designate that that's their spot. Because what would happen is people would spend all this time uh, after a snowstorm, clear out their space in front of their house, and then their neighbor would park in front of them. And then it would start like a feud, you know. It got to be a real thing. So they started putting chairs because cones were impolite. Chairs were fine, though, because it was from their house, and it was a little more personable. And that's actually what I love about them so much is it does, it really takes a snapshot of someone's personality of what kind of chair they put in front of their house, you know. You can just tell all kinds of different things about them. You know, if it's a high chair or something, maybe they have kids that have grown up or or at least don't need a high chair anymore. Or if it's an old school desk, maybe it was an old teacher, you know, a retired teacher or something like that. You can, or you can just make these conclusions. It might be right or wrong. Who knows? If one's really fancy, you know, are they well-to-do? Or they would put that out if it's a... And they actually have places that make custom every winter uh, Pittsburgh chairs. <laughs> And so this video, again, is called the Pittsburgh's Weirdest Tradition. He kind of explains, he t- it's accepted by the city and the police. They won't give you a ticket for doing this either, even though it's completely illegal. It's just been accepted in Pittsburgh. Uh, other c- places do it just for the winter, but uh, Pittsburgh can do it year-round. It's really crazy. The video is Pittsburgh's Weirdest Tradition. That's so cool because I can imagine people getting creative and like, getting a chair specifically for that and maybe painting it or whatever. So Yeah, and I love the fact that they think that cones are obnoxious and, yeah. and so, you know, <laughs> uncivilized. <laughs> so then they grab a chair out of their house right. and put it there and no one steals them and everybody Which honors awesome. them. That's it's, cool. They 100%, they all know that that's what that's for yeah. and they don't kick the chair over and get upset and park there anyway. It's also people that live maybe near businesses and mm. parking is really scarce downtown yeah. or in a big business district. So they'll go up a couple blocks and park in front of someone's house and then that person doesn't have enough parking. Parking spots or garage. Some houses don't at all. So yeah, uh, I just love it. It's just such a. Th- it's something that I would never have thought no. of or known about until I just randomly ran across this video. Yeah, and I thought it was so funny. I love it. Thanks everyone, and stay curious. Want to learn more about this week's cool sheets? Head on over to 10bestus, that's 10bestus.com, for links to all of our cool sheets. And sign up for our monthly newsletter with bonus cool sheets and other fun stuff. 10bestus will be back with an all-new episode next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. 